in Auckland, the eviction moratorium still exists. Can you tell us what's going on? The people that provide housing to the community in Oakland, California are considered evil. During the eviction moratorium, to ask a tenant to pay rent could be viewed as harassment to the tenant. Tenants can get advice from these groups, these lawyers, on how to avoid paying rent or sue the landlords. Correct. There's been many, many, many housing providers that have not received any rent for three years. My guest today is Chris Moore, board member with Bay Rental Housing Association. Today, he'll share with us his first-hand experience being a landlord in California and why he thinks the eviction moratorium is hurting the tenants. What you have with politicians and tenant advocates is housing's a human right, housing should be free for all. It sounds really good, but if you truly read the ordinance, it's bad for tenants. How is this going to impact the relationship of landlords and tenants going forward? The city leaders, the tenant activists, they want this adversarial relationship because it benefits them. I'm Siamai Korami. Welcome to California Insider. Chris, it's great to have you on. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. We want to talk to you about the eviction moratorium mm -hmm. and where the state is headed with housing. You've done a lot of research on this. And you're a housing provider in, in Oakland, which mm -hmm. the eviction moratorium still exists. Can you tell us what's going on? Yeah, so Oakland, uh, I do provide housing in the community. So Oakland uh, is actually the last city in the country to still be deciding how long they're going to extend their eviction moratorium. The extension, which is going to probably start between May and August, um, under the law, technically, they have to show some what they call a COVID nexus. Um, but as written, they don't need to show documentation or anything like that. They can just kind of say, hey, I've had a, an, an issue under COVID ranging from a health issue to maybe a loss of a job at any time during COVID. And that would give them the opportunity to continue to not pay rent through uh, August 31st. So the moratorium in Oakland, mm -hmm. and you're a housing provider there, and has it affected the relationship between landlords and tenants? I think it has, yeah. What's been created by whether it's the politicians or the maybe tenant advocates, they've created this division between housing providers and renters. Both are, housing providers need renters. They don't want to have a division. Uh, and renters need housing providers because they need a place to live. But the moratorium specifically, there's been a, the market has been communicated to, and what you have with politicians and tenant advocates is, housing's a human right, housing should be free for all. And while 80% of the, the renters actually are, um, they kind of generally don't believe in those concepts, you have 10 to 20% that are feeling more entitled, right? And they, they, they hear these mes this messaging and they, they believe that housing is a human right and they should be able to get housing um, for free, right? Or, or you know, very low cost. And so what the moratorium did was it said, basically there's an eviction moratorium for any reason, literally for almost any reason. So you didn't have to pay rent, you could disturb other tenants in the building and you could not be evicted uh, for that reason. And, and it was all driven by COVID, of course. And in the beginning, 
it was a reasonable approach, right? There, people did lose jobs initially and had COVID, but now we're 37 months into it in Oakland, and they're looking at extending it for another it's four months. It's been three years, yeah. Yeah, it's been three years, and there's been many, many, many housing providers that have not received any rent for three years, for o over three years. And there's a recent uh, study, some early data from it, is that um, of those who have not received money, 15% are in foreclosure. And we're talking a significant thousands, right, um, wow. that are providing housing in the community that are moving into foreclosure. And, and the reason it, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the discussion points you hear from the, I refer to them as anti-housing crowd, but it's kind of the politicians and the, and, and the tenant advocates, is that it's these corporates that are coming in and they're trying to evict and push people out, and that's why the eviction moratorium was put in. The reality is, the, the corporates have financing and they can kind of survive. They have lawyers, they have, you know, they have financing that they can survive through this. It's the small community, mom and pop, some will call it, but the community um, housing provider that may have a two bedroom house. They might, be, they might be in a duplex and they're renting out one side. They're not capitalized to survive three years of, of not receiving rent. On top of that, they had to pay their property taxes on time. They've had to pay their business taxes or uh, any uh, other taxes uh, on time, yet they're not allowed to collect any revenue from it, any, any income. Literally, they, tenants do not have to pay anything. Old country soaps are handcrafted, long-lasting soap bars made on a farm in South Dakota with soothing natural ingredients without harsh chemicals that can dry out your skin. They can produce a creamy lather unlike anything you've tried before. Just a great American-made product that will leave your skin feeling soft and smooth all day long. The soap is multi-purpose. You can also use it for your hair, it's great for shaving, and safe for pets. Every order comes with an exfoliating soap bag. It can hold smaller pieces of soap and can prevent soap bars from slipping out of the hand. After each use, just leave the soap bar inside and hang dry. It will last a long time. This company does not sell on Amazon. So go to oldcountrysoap.com and reward yourself and your loved ones. Use promo code INSIDER and get an exclusive 20% off your order. Let's support a company that brings back traditional American values and American manufacturing. Now let's go back to the interview. And when we had Jonathan Madison, the, um, mm -hmm. the eviction lawyer on the mm -hmm. show, he told us of cases where people are People had the money, but they were not giving the, the paying the rents. Do you have so there's examples? there's there's lots of different examples. I know a case of a gentleman. Uh, he was on a hunger strike actually yeah, uh, for Alameda County. So he actually his tenant was not paying rent. His tenant actually moved out of his triplex and um, rented the room to somebody else. So he was collecting rent, wow. or, and then and then. Um, you know, moved out and moved somewhere else. Um, there's, there's lots of cases where, yeah, people, they didn't lose their jobs. They, as far as we know, didn't, they didn't have a, you know, maybe they had COVID, but they didn't have a significant impact. And, but because they were enabled by uh, the city leaders to, and, and Alameda County as well, uh, to, to not pay rent um, because there was no proof that they couldn't pay rent and there was no means test uh, also. So that's what you get. And there's, there's many cases, uh, and so we, we work with um, and 
and, and I talk with a number of, uh, I, the organization I'm part of, IBRA, uh, has 1,500 um, housing providers. We represent about 45,000 uh, units in Alameda and Contra Costa County. And so we talk to people all the time and we hear these stories about it's common where a, a renter is not paying rent yet they're showing up with new BMWs or they're showing up with new Mercedes or sh showing up with new cars. Um, meanwhile, uh, the, the housing provider is trying to pay their property tax. They're not going on vacation. They're doing all the maintenance themselves. And so ex expenses are increasing and they're not uh, collecting any rent. Um, so that is, that's one side of the problem is the rent payment. The other side of the problem during the pandemic is because there's um, almost no opportunity to evict is you have what you can have is bad actor tenants who are partying all night or they're selling drugs out of their units or they're, um, they're you know, making noise all the time. They're frustrating the rest of the tenants to the point where the good tenants or tenants that, that are not bad actors, they're moving out, right? So this has significantly impacted the community, particularly um, East Oakland, West Oakland, where um, these, they're, they're, they're as, undercapitalized compared to some of the, the more main, main parts of uh, downtown Oakland where you have more corporates that you know, can, can withstand what's going on in this uh, kind of what's called the draconian uh, eviction moratorium. Now, are there examples of tenants threatening to sue the, the housing providers? So this is another kind of issue in that a lot of the, um, the ordinances that are written around, whether it's the eviction moratorium or other rent, rental regulation um, ordinances, the language is purposely kept very vague, right? Um, and I can get into that, but uh, to your question about harassment, uh, during the eviction moratorium to ask a tenant to pay rent, it could be viewed as harassment to the tenant. Wow. So you could, you could send them, you know, the monthly statement saying this is what's, oh, but to go and say, hey, when are you gonna pay this or how, that could be viewed as harassment, whereas, yeah, and out of that, the tenants will or could go to free legal services, which are paid for by the housing providers in Oakland. So we're all taxed $101 per unit. That goes, part of that goes into a legal fund at tenant advocates organizations. So then they provide lawyers free legal services to tenants. Um, who can come back and threaten to sue. So tenants can sue. get advice from these groups, these lawyers, on how to avoid paying rent or sue the landlords? Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's in place. These services are in place. It's meant to be a, for, you know, a for good, a good cause. Yes. Because sometimes the housing provider or landlord might actually do something Correct. bad. There's bad actors on both sides, right? There's bad actors on the housing provider side. There's bad actors on, on tenant side. So there's free legal services provided to tenants because the laws and the ordinance have been written. They're so complex, very few people truly understand what's in there. And they're overlapping and just, you know, just building on top of each. So they do, you know, use, need legal services in some way to understand their rights. But because also, those same tenant lawyers that are, uh, and some, some of the tenant activist organizations are actually writing that the, the ordinances, they are, you know, you see things that are, all, that are written with a lot of vagueness to it 
and it gives the opportunity for um, those lawyers to provide those legal services and then come in, you know, threaten harassment or come in with a lot of other things to make it difficult uh, for, uh, you know, the, the housing provider to evict, okay, but what happens is, particularly with small housing or housing community, small housing providers, they don't have the funds to hire their own lawyers. And so they're, they're, it's used as a threat against them. And sometimes more than a threat, they're actually sued. Uh, and so they are, of course, impacted significantly. They might lose their, their rental property. They might lose the home that they're living in. Maybe they're renting a room uh, because they're being sued by bad actor renters and potentially bad actor Can you give us some well. examples of this, like oh. how it would manifest? I'm, I'm familiar with one where uh, there's a, a tenant who's not paying rent and they have, there's a, a small mold issue uh, in their, in, on their windows. Um, but they will not allow... Is it in the inside or Inside, outside? yeah. Inside. So sorry, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, the, the windows can get some, some, some mold on them. They would like that fixed, um, but they won't let the, uh, the housing provider in to view it. And so they're working with a tenant activist lawyer, and that lawyer is saying, okay, if you want to come in and fix it, then uh, you're going to need to uh, move the tenant out to a hotel uh, for you know, X period of time um, and pay the hotel, of course. Um, but also, that's uh, under uh, just cause legislation, that's counted as a move out. So you have to pay them, I think it's roughly $8,000 uh, know, for that, that fee. But on top, uh, in order to agree to this, we want the rest of the apartment remodeled throughout, right? So there's those kind of stories that are so out there. So you have to put them in a hotel for a few weeks right. and then pay $8,000 for the move out right. and then they want to remodel. The whole apartment, yeah. So it's kind of like, and if you don't do it, you're going to get sued for having mold, right? On the, uh, so you're sort of like caught in this you, and, and they won't let you in to, to do it. So these are the type of stories that are out there. Um, and, and there's another... I'll, I'll and meanwhile, mm -hmm. does that, that landlord make a lot of money from that unit? How, how's, how's yeah, I, th that particular, I don't know. It's probably a rent control. I'm sure it's a rent controlled unit. And uh, I, I don't know the exact rent that they're earning on that, but it's, it's, um, it's not like they're, they're earning huge profits on Is that. Is it going to be like a year or two of losses to pay for all this? For it would, I mean, you're talking potentially twenty, thirty thousand dollars right so depending on the remodel so it could be it could be sure could be could be two years to, to make that back or more and that's just that's if assuming gross rents, right yeah. if they don't have, exactly yeah I mean it costs in Oakland California with you know it, it can cost for a one bedroom eleven twelve hundred dollars just uh, in operating cost up to, to operate a unit depending on if you're paying for utilities which you, you are in many cases course you know your your mortgage and that your 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 interest payments on your mortgage so it can cost a significant amount of money to operate uh, in Oakland California um, and I mentioned before you have 40 percent of renters that can be bel actually below they're paying below cost essentially and uh, this is another rent control uh, uh, issue with rent control really what's happening is the higher price marketing market um, renters are subsidizing the long-term tenants that are in there um, people don't understand that, but that's really what's happening. Now, there's a philosophy in the state about housing as a human right, and there's a law that they're trying to change the Constitution of California and pushing this law in. 
Is that coming from the same philosophy that's in Oakland? Sure, maybe even started in Oakland or, or the, the Bay Area. Um, so yeah, so housing as a human right is the mantra or that's what you hear quite a bit. I mean, if that's the case, do private housing providers need to provide that housing without any subsidy or income from the government? I think if housing's a human right, then the, then the government needs to provide that housing. It's not the responsibility of private individuals to, to provide that. So are they trying to do that in a sense? Um, are they trying to use nonprofits to come in and do that? Are they doing something like that yeah. in Oakland? So here's kind of what some people believe is happening is that you had this perfect opportunity during the eviction moratorium. Um, so there is a lot of thinking at the city council level in many of these cities that a not-for-profit can operate housing, and, and the government for that matter, can operate housing better than a, than a, you know, a, a private individual housing provider. It makes zero sense, right? Like you, a, an organization that has all this overhead to, to, uh, for all their executives, how can they operate housing for less um, than, than a private individual? But that is the, the message, and that is, that, so these not-for-profits are, of course, they're supporting city council members who do that. They help get, get the vote out for, those, those or, uh, for the city council members. What I'm saying is the, the perfect scenario is kind of happening is that the eviction moratorium took hold. They didn't pay people for between 20, they didn't pay housing providers for 22 to 36 months, 37 months and, and going. So they are well undercapitalized. 15% of them are gonna be under foreclosure. The not-for-profits right now are pitching something called naturally occurring foreclosures. It's not naturally occurring. That's, they've put people out of business by not allowing them to collect rent. So the not-for-profits are saying they're raising money right now to say, we're gonna buy these naturally occurring foreclosures and then we'll operate them. And we'll, they're saying they will keep it at um, that, the housing at below market pricing. Um, and that's, that's the, the next step in this is something called TOPA, uh, Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act. There's something called the, um, the housing element in many communities. In California, every yeah, city has to create. Yeah, the arena housing element. Yes, you have it's to create, arena, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So the affordable housing o component. Oakland that and many other cities um, put in that they must study TOPA, you know, as part of their arena within two to three years. They must study and, and consider implementing it in the community. So what TOPA says is if, if I'm interested in selling a property, uh, and that's any property in the community, any rental home in the, com in the community, I first have to let my tenants know and give them also all the operational um, data uh, for, the, for the property. The tenant has the right then to assign their, um, their right of interest in the property to a not-for-profit in the community. And so within 30 days, they could come back and they you know, write a note and say, hey, I'm interested in buying this property. That gives them then another 15 to 20 days to make an offer. And so they can come in and say, I would like to offer, let's say for a, you know, a property, they're gonna offer a million dollars and they make an offer of a million. And so the housing provider might say, you know what, I think it's worth 1.2. So now um, up until that point, it's illegal for the property owner to talk 
to you know market the property. But now, after let's say 45 days, they can go out and market that property to the community. So let's say somebody comes back and uh, you know you 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 say, Chris, I'd like to buy your property for 1.2 million. I'll st I can say to you, okay, I'm interested in some, and oh, and you'll fund it within 30 days, right? You'll the yeah. So I say, okay, I'd like to sell that property to you, but I have to go back and because they because they the the ha this not for profit expressed interest, I have to give them the first right of refusal. Um, so now I go back to the housing provider, uh, to the not-for-profit, and then not for, I say, I have this offer for, bona fide offer for 1.2 million. And they say, okay, I'm gonna give you 1.2 million. Um, I can come up with the funds in 180 days. I have to accept that offer because wow. in theory, they matched the price. They don't have to match any other terms. There's not even a requirement for them to put a deposit down. So now, they can have 180 days to go out and f try to find funding. If after 180 days they don't find funding, I go back to you, you've moved on to something else, right? So now I have to start the process all over. I have to say, okay, I'm gonna sell out. I go to the, go to the tenants, I offer, you know, I tell them 30 days in advance. So you have to start this process all over. And there's a number of things that are going on here. One is they wanna, one is they just want to make it difficult for you to sell the property because the, the, in theory, the next owner is going to come in and is going to evict everybody. Not going to happen. No way. That's, that's just not how it works in Oakland, California. But that's, that's one. The other is that by, by requiring a, a, you know, this first right of refusal uh, to the not-for-profit, it devalues the property. Okay? So, it's, so it's pushing down the value of the property. But the other killer here is, and why it doesn't work for tenants, is it's a false promise to tenants. So tenants may vote for this and they may push for the community to do it, but there is a restriction on the housing that says it, it must fit, but uh, it must stay, there's actually a deed restriction that says you, you can't raise rents by a certain amount over, over time, okay? or it's gotta be a certain percent, the rents have to be lower than, than the market. Um, that kills off equity growth in the property. So if a tenant actually were to buy it, they're not gonna get, um, they're not gonna earn income on that or they're not gonna get equity. Um, they may get equity, but it's not gonna grow like it would for a non-TOPA property. So that's why we call it, it it's a false promise because they are, they are not really going to benefit from this this transaction um, if they were able to qualify to buy it in the first place. Now, so you're saying that actually the eviction moratorium is causing some landlords to lose, like uh, some housing yes. providers and landlords to lose their homes because they couldn't pay the mortgage. And meanwhile, the nonprofits are gearing up to buy these? Yeah, so there's a lot of complexities going on here. So, so yes, so right now there are they're, you're starting to see organizations pop up and they call it, they're, they're raising money to buy naturally occurring um, foreclosures, right? And Which is happening because of the moratorium, the, right? It's not naturally occurring. I mean, it's, it's basically, it's the eviction moratorium. People couldn't collect rent for 37 months. They're going bankrupt, basically, and they're losing their, their property. So it's a perfect opportunity for the not-for-profits to come in and buy them on the cheap, and um, that's that's you know, and and basically make a big profit off of it, right? And in fact, there's a there's a law that Nancy Skinner passed uh, at at the state level. Just to give an example, 
where they just didn't really think through the policy. So foreclosures in the state of California, they said, oh, if a, forecla if a foreclosure is sold on, on the county steps, then a not-for-profit gets the first right of refusal to buy that property, okay? So what happened was you saw, and this was in the news uh, two, three months ago, a number of out-of-state not-for-profits created, one in Washington, D.C., and, 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 and a, a couple, and they came in, they bought these foreclosed rental properties, and then as soon as they bought them, they basically kicked the renters out and flipped them and made money on them, right? And, that's, and so they said, well, we didn't understand that as an unintended consequence uh, at, the st at the state level, but that is what happens. The laws, to really catch all the different examples of what can happen, it's very difficult to, to, to write in the ordinance. And so you, you typically find organizations whether by design or not, that come in and take advantage of the situation. Now, the city leaders, uh, when, they, when they're thinking about this whole nonprofits coming and taking the foreclosure naturally occurring, which is because of the eviction moratorium, do they not care about the, the landlords or housing providers? Do they see that they, because they, if you're losing for foreclosure, it means like you lost, you lost the whole Yeah, thing. there's another angle there. First off, Unfortunately, the people that provide housing to the community in uh, Oakland, California are considered evil, right? They're considered evil because it's assumed that they're raising the rents to, um, you know, and they're taking advantage of the community. Whereas the city councils are, are, are passing very costly ordinances, they're raising taxes all the time. They are actually the ones, and, and they're preventing the, the, the production of yeah. housing. So they are actually the ones that are causing the increase in these prices, but they very effectively have blamed it on the housing providers, right? They're not gonna blame it on themselves. So they blamed it on the housing providers. And yeah, so another, another example of how the eviction moratorium is, is hurting supply in the community is that there are many community housing providers, mom and pop housing providers that are basically, they, they might have a single family house and they're saying, we're not gonna rent this anymore, right? We're gonna just sell it and they'll sell it to somebody, but it'll go off the rental market forever. And that is, there's, there's a large number of properties out there where people are, they might have two or three units, somebody's moved out, they're not gonna rent those out because this is not so, part of it's the eviction moratorium, but another part of it is the just cause and other rental regulations that basically make it extremely difficult to, if somebody's lease ends, then they may never want to leave. And it's possible that they'll just stay there forever. Whereas you have to buy them out basically if you wanna sell your property. And Chris, how did you get into this? You started, you were in the technology space, mm -hmm. right? You got into... I was in, I was in telecommunications and in, in the tech side of telecommunications. And I used to, um, I used to live on a plane. I, I, I kind of, I was, I was traveling all over the world and I didn't get to see my, you know, I didn't get to spend enough time with my daughter and my wife and, you know, and, and uh, you know, we live in Northern California. And so on the side, I, uh, a friend of mine encouraged me to invest in a small multi-unit property. And um, I'm a, I was a former CPA when I, you know, back uh, 30 years ago, and I sort of figured out how to operationally improve um, the properties. 
and I got very into the, the uh, meaning, I, I got deep into understanding the ordinances and these, these rent regulations and making sure here's how to properly um, run and manage and how to properly work with your tenants, right? And, and so that's how I got into it. I started there and um, just just kind of been working in, in building that. And uh, and then that's I just decided to focus, uh, you know, all my and time. And from what you told area. us offline, you were pretty hands-on, like you do a lot of things. I 100% managed my properties, meaning I did, did all the accounting, all the property management, all the uh, all the maintenance I do all you the, do the maintenance. maintenance too. Yeah, yeah, and and I was fortunate. I I, I started out as an auto mechanic forty years ago, and so I kind of learned how to do do work with my hands and do things. I do have a property manager that helps me uh, now, just because a lot of the paperwork just got so onerous and challenging in the under under the rental regulations. I decided to let them uh, do that, um, but I still do a, a, the majority of the maintenance, and and it's actually good because. I know all my tenants. I, I I have a relationship with them. You know, we don't have an adversarial relationship, which the the community's trying to. They're they're trying to split this. The I, city I, leaders, the city the leaders, the tenant activists. They want this adversarial relationship um, because it benefits them, right? And so, fortunately, I don't have that uh, with the majority of my tenants because I am there. If there's a maintenance issue, I try to fix it that day, if possible. It's all about customer service, and maybe that's when I came from the corporate world. Provide great customer service, and you'll have a prosperous business. So um, that's what I'm, that's what I'm about. So, with all this effort that's happening, how is this going to impact uh, the relationship of landlords and tenants going forward, and and housing providers and tenants? Yeah, I think for the, I think it's again, it's I go back to that kind of 80-20 split. There's there is a there is a sense of in the community, and it's not only with rental housing of, of entitlement. Right, and they're kind of, house, you know, housing is a human right, um, or you know, some of the some of the other other messaging that's that's given in the community. So it does cause some challenges with with some tenants that believe in that philosophy, and so it's a matter of, you know, you know, I'm somebody I kind of have a an, an open personality, and I in general I try to have a conversation and understand the issues. And a lot of times, I'm, most of the time, I'm successful in that. But not all housing providers are like me. You know, they're, they're, they just haven't, they don't have an ex, uh, extroverted personality and, and they can be afraid of their tenants or they're afraid to have a discussion. And I, I think it's, you can be successful if you can have an open discussion. Um, but it's, it can be hard with, with some tenants and it can be difficult for some housing providers. And so then you kind of get this, this division, right, that that's being kind of fostered in the community. And it just makes it harder and harder and harder to operate in the community. And you're, what's, what's really happening is a lot of, you add up all the rental regulations that keep piling on, you add up the eviction moratorium where people weren't paid, community housing providers are just getting out of the business. They're saying, forget it, I'm gonna sell. And whether they're selling their single family property or they're selling their other properties, it's you. They also generally need because you don't know if you're going to get a bad actor tenant or not, right? Even though it may happen 20% of the time, it could happen. You you don't know, so you have to have a lawyer. You have you're going to incur legal legal mm -hmm. expenses, and over time, you you know, corporates can kind of build a bigger portfolio and they can pay for a lawyer on staff. And that is what city council is pushing today, is really, with that, they may not know it, but they're pushing all the housing stock into the hands of larger corporate companies. 
And so while they will provide housing and they'll provide good service, it's not, you know, that, that's not an issue, but they're not gonna have the personal relationship with their tenants. And they're gonna probably they're, charge more, right? They, they, will, they will raise rents every year, right? Gen generally, they will raise rents every year when they have the opportunity to do that. Whereas other housing providers may not for, you know, they, they, may, they may not because they, they can have a, they have a relationship. A lot of, we, it's a family relationship with, with my, I have, I have such, you know, deep personal relationships with many of my tenants. And if they have an issue, if they, if they can't pay rent that month, I'll work that out with them, right? And so it's just, and that's what's key in this business. And unfortunately, city council they assume that we're just out to you know to to take advantage of the of the community, and we're not. We're actually providing housing to the community. Uh, it's a very important you know aspect to and it. And how is this going to impact the tenants in the long run? Number one, it there is going to be a the, the eviction moratorium. In my personal opinion, is the largest. Uh, negative impact to housing in the Oakland community, um, you know, that that's happened probably since rent control was implemented because it has, rent control, again, it, it scares outside investment out. Uh, and uh, when I say outside investment, it means building new supply for the community. That's what rent control did. Eviction moratorium, now we know city council at any time may say, oh, hey, there's a, there's a problem. We, we have to have an eviction moratorium. And so that's gonna scare people f uh, out of the community, meaning they're not gonna develop new supply. If you don't have supply and you still have demand, meaning people are still coming into the community, the Bay Area's got great weather, there's lots of job opportunities. You know, over time, more people will come back to the community, there won't be enough housing and prices are gonna go up. It will lock, it's gonna lock existing people into their apartments. It's gonna be very difficult for them to move somewhere else in the Oakland or Bay Area community. Uh, and they'll be pushed out. They'll be pushed out to other communities or out, out of the state. Is it gonna be harder for people to qualify? Yes, so one other thing that the eviction moratorium has done is that it, it's hurt probably the tenants that have you know, more challenges to, to, to rent an apartment, meaning pre-pandemic and even during the pandemic, if somebody applied and they didn't meet the, the qualifications, so a certain, uh, certain FICO score or a certain income score, I would sit down with them and understand maybe why their credit store is not as high as it, it should be or why they had an income issue at this. And many times, take a chance on them. They'll tell you how they're gonna pay rent and how they're gonna uh, meet the terms of the lease. So I would give them that opportunity. And this is how it is with all community uh, housing providers. But now that you have an eviction moratorium and you have tougher and tougher rental regulations, it's a little scarier to give as many of those you know, opportunities because you you're taking a chance when you're doing that. And so, yes, people are having to raise their qualification criteria in order to offer housing to the community. So it's going to hurt, all these policies ultimately hurt the renters in the community. It's, it, it makes it more difficult for them to find housing and will get more expensive. I actually have another, uh, actually one other thing I wanna mention. Um, there was a, there was a, in Oakland, California, there was a set of um, just cause laws just passed this last November. It was proposed by the city council and it was voted on by the public. And one of the criteria in there is you cannot evict a um, teachers or anybody that's involved with, with uh, a school 
um, or families with children under 18 during the school year. So the school year is roughly from August 15th to June 15th. It's a sound good policy, sounds, sounds like a great policy. But now if somebody has a lease and they're renting it to a teacher and that lease ends on September of the next year, and maybe that person's going to move in that, or they, they were maybe expecting the teacher to move out and they were gonna have a family member move in or they were gonna sell it to, to fund their the child's education. The teacher now has just cause right to stay in that house all the way until the next June. And eviction is worded so broadly that that could mean something called a three-day notice of, you know, of, of, of late payment, meaning it's possible that they could actually stretch it out for two years, okay, before they can evicted, wow. be evicted. So in the beginning, housing providers are gonna kind of hear about that and, or maybe they're gonna get burnt, you know, in, in, a, in a way that somebody's not gonna move out of their house. But over time, people are gonna say, if I have two equal uh, applications and one's a teacher and one is somebody that's, that's um, providing an application but they have the same income levels and you know, same, same rent history, they're probably gonna go for the person that's not going to have a just cause right to stay in their home for two years after the lease ends, right? So it Im it's going to Hurt impact- those people that, that they're actually trying to help. Exactly. And this is what the, all the rent, uh, many of the rent control laws do is it, it hurts the exact same people they're trying to help. They, they don't realize it. They won't even listen to housing providers. They don't trust housing providers, even though we provide the housing and we understand exactly how to operate and So and Chris, housing. how do you keep going despite all <laughs> of these challenges you guys are facing? What I see is, I, I see the negative impacts that a lot of the, again, the, the, the rental, the ordinances um, and the eviction moratorium have, have put on the community. And I just feel, it's just not right. Right, it, it primarily impacts a lot of people in black and brown people in East and West Oakland, uh, Oakland. And I kind of have a passion, I just want to help them, right? And I'm very involved and active in the, the, the community from uh, just trying to teach the community and trying to teach uh, housing or, or the, 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 the uh, council members how t their policies impact the negatively impact the community. And that's kind of, for me, that's kind of fun. That's what I'm. That's what. That's why I'm staying in it right and now. And do you talk to them? Do they talk to you? It depends. As the pandemic ended, um, council meetings open to the public. Okay, so meeting in person. So we, a number of us, got together and we we held rallies. Uh, and so we kind of it was more visual of the impact to the community out there. And so it did give us the opportunity to meet and, and the city council, many of them genuinely wanted to understand the issue and they, re they started to realize, oh, there are impacts to the community and there, there have been, you know, um, there's many people that, that are being negatively impacted. So they opened up probably only in the last two to three weeks uh, as- Was it after the hunger strike or was it- The hunger strike at, was at the Alameda County level, um, but yeah, so actually that helped us to talk with the county, the, the supervisors at the county, they opened up. So, so that rally and the hunger strike certainly helped with that. And then uh, as Oakland is considering what they're gonna do with their eviction moratorium, we held a couple rallies, rallies to let them know how the community is being negatively impacted. And it did uh, give us the opportunity to, to um, speak uh, about, about some of the issues to, 
to the, uh, the, the community and to uh, council. So do you encourage other housing providers to join you guys or? Absolutely, this is the biggest thing. You know, there's, there's a, we need people to come out, speak at the council meetings and talk about their challenges and, and talk about which communities of Oakland they're in and how they've been impacted by the eviction moratorium and how they're impacted by these ongoing uh, rental regulations and how they negatively impact the community overall rather than helping to foster a productive and, and growing housing community. Do you have yeah. any other thoughts for our audience? Um, I think it's just, you know, watch what's happening in Oakland because it's probably the most, uh, you know, strongest rental regulations in the country. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's helping to, to communicate to your communities um, and other communities that this is how these things can, um, you know, negatively impact and, and learn about what's going on in Oakland, California. Um, so when these things come to your community, you can help to, uh, to educate your city councils on the negative impacts. Yep. Chris Moore, housing provider in Oakland. It was great to have you in California Insider. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. If you like the show and our content, you should go to insiderca.com and sign up to our newsletter because we never know what can happen with social media and other platforms in terms of distributing our content. If you'd like to come on the show and be an insider, you can reach out to us at cainsider at epochtimesca.com. Again, it's cainsider at epochtimesca.com. We would love to have you on the show to tell us what's going on in your field in California. Thank you for watching.